Well, hello, welcome to the Church Planting Podcast. My name is Clint Clifton. This podcast is intended to help church planters and sending churches aspiring to make more disciples through church planting. Well, today on the Church Planting Podcast, we are going to uh, have a conversation with Bobby Oliveri uh, and myself, and we're going to talk about uh, mistakes that we've made in church planting, things that we've done that we sort of wish we hadn't done now in hindsight. And um, so instead of our normal have a phone call with someone, we're going to uh, we're going to just look at uh, some of the mistakes that we've made. And, you know, as Bobby and I were talking about this before we started, um, Bobby, Bobby couldn't think of any mistakes he made. He's just just basically nine months of church planting, impeccable track record so far. Uh, It's because I've uh, experienced God's grace and are so, so much of a novice at it that. I'm either a blind to the mistakes I've made or have been sustained in decent pastoral and church planting maneuvers. I actually think that you've made plenty of mistakes and you're just not far enough into it to even realize them. <laughs> well, that's the mark of wisdom. That's what I'm going to go with. Is age and experience. I think if you'd asked me in nine months about my mistakes, I'd have said I hadn't made any either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I, know. you know, we can bring on, you know, plenty of the members of the church and my wife and the minutia of mistakes will be endless, I'm sure. That's true. I'm sure if we talk to some other folks, they could they could point a few out. Anyway, we're going to talk about some of these mistakes. And so I've come up with three. Bobby uh, is struggling to, to, to find any, but maybe as we go through, he'll he'll think of a few things. So we're going to start with uh, we're going to start with a mistake I made in preaching. Um, so let me let me caveat this by saying, um, actually. There's no excuse for this that I'm going to give. I'm going to try, though. I'll try to give an excuse. It, um, when I started preaching, I, I had never consistently preached before And when I started the church. And I actually I went to Bible college and seminary, but I studied music in both. And so I really, um, I had really never studied preaching. Um, I'd only listened to preaching, basically. And I never really attempted to preach myself. So when I started preaching, I remember this one particular Sunday, it was, it was, uh, it was within the first year of the church. And, um, and in, in the preaching, I said something along the lines, I was talking about John the Baptist and how he was a reflector of the glory of God, how he, how he didn't absorb the light, uh, uh, of God just for himself, but he reflected that glory back to others. And I said the phrase, uh, something along the lines of, um, uh, much like the stars don't have any light of their own. They only reflect the light of the sun. So John the Baptist and the, the obvious problem with that, if you um, went to, um, fourth grade science class is that that's not true. It's not true at all. And, um, you were thinking of the moon. I was thinking of the moon. Well, I wasn't actually thinking of the moon. I actually thought that was true about the stars. See, that's the problem. Um, and so, um, of course, after the service, the really benevolent people, nobody said, you know, said anything or indicated during the service. But after the service, you know, a number of people corrected, corrected me. And uh, even as they were telling me, I'm thinking this can't be true. This can't be true. I was, and so I think the the mistake that I made, um, certainly it's not the biggest mistake I've made, but but the mistake I made was relying on what I thought was previous knowledge without studying. And so a lot of times when you're studying something and preparing, 
uh, to talk to people or writing for that matter, you you end up going, oh, I know this thing. I know this category. And we don't even know the areas that we we are ignorant in. So it's a big mistake. I actually, uh, that same Sunday, I made a minor theological error too. In the next Sunday in the bulletin, I printed a retraction. It's the only time I think I've ever done that. But I said, basically, strike last Sunday's sermon from your from your memory. <laughs> give me a <laughs> give me a week of grace. It's a pastoral mulligan. Was it was a pastoral mean? mulligan. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. Uh, well, actually, now that you say that, um, the freshest in my mind, actually, from from yesterday today's Monday, I preached yesterday. We just started a series on uh, on the Psalm, and so two Sundays ago I preached on Psalm one. Yesterday I preached on Psalm two, and I opened Psalm two with a bit of. Um, further comment on Psalm 1, because I felt my first psalm, uh, my first sermon on Psalm 1 was too heavy-handed and legalistic. Uh, So Psalm 1 is, blessed is the man who walks not, blah, 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 but delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And so my sermon was about delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating on a day and night. And I said, there's no excuse. you got a phone in your pocket that will read the Bible to you. And I, I mean, I went in on these people. And I said, you don't delight in the law of the Lord because you don't delight in God himself. And I'm just trying to tell you what the psalm says. And uh, I didn't come around from the other side and buffer people's... Um, I didn't realize how polarizing the psalm could be. Um, and a good pastor and preacher would have said, if you're feeling crappy about yourself... In one sense, that's great, but here's here's how you should respond now. Mm-hmm. I just sort of laid it on real thick and real condemning, and uh, so I opened my sermon uh, yesterday on Psalm two with a little further remarks on, hey, if you left you left yesterday or if you left last Sunday disappointed, uh, that's not where you should have left. Yeah, and here's how you can be encouraged. Yeah. So I I think I've learned pastorally and from a preaching standpoint to care now for for the way people are perceiving the requirements of God's word, not just if they're just obeying the letter of the law. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, uh, in that whole category, I think my observation about church planters is they start off far more rigid than they end up, um, in terms of, uh, or actually, I guess another way to say that is, uh, rigidity is probably not it. it they, they become much more pastoral over time. They think, a lot more in year three than they do in year one about the way people perceive what they say. Um, when in the beginning you talk to a church planner in the very beginning, often they'll say things like, um, I, I just deliver the mail. I don't write it. You know, um, the idea like my job is to just proclaim the word of God. I don't care how people receive it. And um, you, you get hit uh, between the eyes a couple times by, by throwing stuff like that out and seeing the carnage that leaves behind really hurting people with your words and and you start to realize hey I have the, I have an opportunity to actually soothe people or or care for people or help people with my words instead of just hit them with them and uh, so yeah I, I can think of a few church plans particularly in our context you know we're working with guys who are uh, often going from the military they're going from the Marine Corps into church planting and so 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 these guys are used to work environments where they have to be candid and harsh in order to get anything done and then they come into a a church full of volunteers and they start throwing around the same kind of demeanor they start preaching in the same kind of way 
And uh, you and I both have worked with one of these guys that made that transition. You know, he made that that transition from from being kind of a bulldog to being now he's one of the most pastoral guys that I know, just incredibly gracious and um, watching that transformation take place. So if you're a year one church planter, a new church planter, you're about to plant a church. Uh, open your uh, mind and heart to the fact that God will make you more pastoral and maybe maybe attempt to grow quicker in that. Uh, maybe would be the lesson um, instead of um, instead of just trying to be tough right off the bat. Yeah, and if you can help it, you can anticipate at least some pastoral concerns in your sermon preparation. Yeah, I mean that's certainly since it's fresh in my mind. What I go to this week as I prepare for the next sermon is. Uh, how will it be received and how can I make sure people leave um, edified and empowered by God's word instead of crushed underneath the weight of it? Yeah. So right. We can avoid that altogether if possible. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a second mistake that I made, I'll bring up number two for me here. Uh, it's really similar. I, I honestly, now that I think about it to that first one in sort of my heart's uh, demeanor, uh, and it, it was a situation where, um, we, we had just started small groups in our new church and we had this one small group that was being led by a Christian who'd come from our sending church, a pretty mature Christian. He'd been in, been a Christian for most, you know, all of his adult life. He was a little bit older gentleman and, um, he'd served an entire career in the military and it was just a good good guy and uh, good family and had raised kids well was really mature and wise and uh, so he was a small group leader and he went to uh, he w- he was holding a small group in this other person's house and this this person was a new believer and there was a lot of interaction happening in that small group and so he would feed back with me at the end of every small group meeting and say hey here's what happened tonight he would send me a little short email just so you know here's how things are going just to keep me in the loop and I really appreciated that part of things um, cause I wasn't, I wasn't in that small group or part of it. Well, this one particular week he said, man, small group did not go great this week. He's, he said, um, all of a sudden they, people in the small group, some of the new believers and the people in the small group, they started complaining about you. They started talking about uh, you and your leadership and about your deficiencies in leadership. And, um, and so this is the point in the e- email. It was an email where I expected him to say, but I jumped in and defended you and told them, you know, how they, how they're wrong for even talking like that or thinking like that. And instead what he did was he played it out. He asked them questions to get a fuller understanding of how they were feeling. And then he delivered all that information back to me. Now, in hindsight, that was really gracious to him. He wasn't joining in the criticism. He was actually just trying to understand it so he could feed it back to me. And he assumed that I was mature enough to like receive that and go, Hey, I'm going to grow from this. But of course I was infuriated by the email, you know? And so I, I, I responded right back to him, shot an email right back to him and said, I can't believe that you would, would allow that to go on and you didn't stop that. And I just, you know, lit into him essentially about, about the fact that, you know, his role there was to help me defend me and um and to not let uh, gossip and slander take place in that setting and I, I was pulling out all these bible verses and throwing them at him and literally i so i got the email like you know seven thirty one morning on, on a on a monday morning after the small group happened on on a sunday night and by by eight thirty, i had shot back a response you know a really just 
you know, harsh response. And that was a huge mistake, man. Huge mistake. <laughs> I could never get that toothpaste back in the tube. Uh, what were, I mean, what were some of the repercussions? I mean, well, the guy, the guy was, he is a mature guy, so he didn't react to my reaction. Um, and, uh, looking back he probably really wanted to react to my reaction and uh but what what he did instead was he said i'm I'm sorry that you perceived it that way i was really trying to help you know forgive me for for doing that but the thing is after that things were never the same in our relationship you know he was much more guarded in the things that he said to me and a matter of fact their family ended up leaving and and you sort of officially didn't have anything to do with that, but certainly the way I responded to him, you know, made him think I'm not on this guy's team. He feels like he has to be defended from me. Um, and so, yeah, I just think, I just think I, I, I botched the relationship there in a big way. And it, it certainly could have recovered. There came a point where I realized um, my sin in that I did, uh, ask for his forgiveness and, and he did, you know, forgive me. Uh, but, um, there was, you know, it was always, it was always difficult after that. Um, so, so, um, it took, honestly, it took them leaving the church and going to another church. And in a couple of years later, they didn't come back to the church, but we, we rekindled our friendship and, and to, to feel like it was ever really over it. But man, my harsh tone and quick response and my sort of youthful arrogance was, you know, really, really messed things up. And that was a great, I'm mean, a great family as a family that was generous to the church. They were, I mean, we only had a few families like that at the time and they were, they were incredible. And so I really, really regret that, that interaction with them. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of, lots of, the Bible says lots about a harsh tongue. So we should probably heed those things and just be careful. I would, I, I think the thing that I do now as a, as a takeaway from that is that I don't respond immediately, mm-hmm. especially to things that are, you know, that are, um, you know, I, I want to respond harshly to. I also often let my wife read my emails before I send them. She very commonly, if you've ever gotten an email from me or we've ever interacted on a, on a sensitive subject, um, there's a good chance my wife read that email and made it way nicer yeah. than it was when I was about to send it. I mean, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's almost like, I would say at least once every two weeks, my wife looks at an email that I ask her to look at before I send it and, and helps me, helps me soften it. Um, cause my natural, I'm naturally inclined to be direct and tough. So praise the Lord for translators. Translators, good wives, good wives who help. Uh, as a matter of fact, couple. <laughs> this is like uh, two weeks ago. I was up late at night typing an email, and my wife was asleep next to me, and um, she woke up and lo- was just looking at the email. And she said, "Please don't send that till the morning." <laughs> and uh, I was like, "Why?" And she said, "Just don't send it. Let me read it in the morning." <laughs> and she did. She read it in the morning, and I fixed it. And uh, I'm real glad I didn't send it that night because yeah. it probably would have soured another relationship. So good wives uh, are are good ministry partners. Yeah. Right. So yeah. can I kind of transition into my story about go my ahead, wife go ahead, and my ministry partner? Um, I'm glad it, you repented of that sin and um, reconciled that relationship. Um, my wife has also proven herself to be a good ministry partner to me thus far, and. Um, one of the things that I that I'm learning that I should have listened to her sooner was in 
the way that we uh, proceeded from mission team or core team gathering in a home around couches, eating dinner, into a more formalized service. And uh, while we were having one of the last um, couple of core team meetings as we were getting logistics for starting to meet on, um, on a Sunday evening, have some extended teaching time, music time, uh, looking more like a service that we could invite people to rather than a, a, a mission team or core team meeting. Uh, she raised one of the concerns, well, what's, how are we going to continue uh, meeting as a core team, planning and strategizing so we don't lose the, the vision and the momentum we have now? So she wasn't saying anything about the legitimacy of to move forward, but how do we sustain what we have? And I sort of, I brushed it off and I said, well, it's going to be natural that we're going to continue to meet together. I mean, you know, that's what churches do. When we have membership, we'll have members meeting, we'll discuss all this stuff. Um, and uh, she, you know, she, we, we went back a little for, back and forth a little bit, um, but for the most part, she, she dropped it. I think she either just assumed that I would uh, see the error in my ways or that uh, she would be um, proven wrong. And uh, fast forward, about a year later, we're, we're meeting now. We went to Sunday evenings now to Sunday mornings. We've been doing that for nine months. And we have not had one core team, mission team meeting, meeting yeah. yeah, about specifically planting the church. We've had plenty of logistical meetings about um, planning for this outreach or um, voting in a new member or uh, making a change to the Constitution or these sort of things. But we have not had a, a, a sit down with the team uh, that was there from the beginning to say, what do we need to do? How can we employ and implement some of these things? Mm -hmm. And what was lost was not so much the uh, ability to get things done by certain people, but the sort of momentum and energy in the mind of people, um, mind of those original members to say, hey, we're still planting a church. We've still got to think this way. And uh, I'm, I'm learning and now and seeing that one year ago, my wife had the foresight to see that if I took off my mission team leader hat and put on my pastoral hat, that the people who were needing to be led and guided as a mission team yeah. would sort of just fall in line in a regular church attendance. They would just go to church. And yeah. uh, so I, th I think probably, no way to know for sure, but probably the growth has been slowed or, or stunted because I, I had not put my foot on the gas and said, we need to maintain these sort of meetings regularly to think this way and to capitalize on. So you think those members of your team, that was interesting the way you said that, you think those members of your team transitioned in their mind from I'm a missionary, co-missionary here to I'm a member of a church now when you guys started holding services? Yeah, at least to some degree, because that's what it looked like and what yeah. it felt like. And because I wasn't putting pressure to remind them in a, in a real tangible way that we're still about this business of planting. You know, you get that reminder every time you go on a Sunday because we meet in a shack and, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're 15 people, you know, members strong with another, with the kids maybe we're, we're a little more. So you're, you're reminded that you're a church plant, but the intentionality and the, and the energy to produce church plant work is not there if there's nobody there to to do it so yeah i made the switch in my mind because that was my inclination and they're going to naturally follow that i think so the lesson that i learned was one listen to your wife who god has given you as a ministry partner uh and consider uh longer than 20 minutes and two to uh to seek to maintain a regular 
mission team or core team vision. Mm -hmm. Like, don't lose that. Right. Gotcha. Uh, because it's better to have it years down the line and not need it than to need it and not have it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think anything we do to have uh, people in our church see themselves as co-laborers in the gospel with us and not just, you know, receiving gospel ministry but distributing gospel ministry i think that's great and that's you know i think that's one of the one of the benefits of starting a new church christians get the opportunity to to fall into this other category where they they're somewhere between um the average church member and a pastor you know that they get to actually play a role in the establishment and, and building of the church it's very cool i really tied to that is the assumption from a pastoral standpoint or a church planning standpoint that uh, your people are self-sustaining in that way. Yeah. Like uh, you can get a couple of like all stars on your team that are just, they're wired to think that way. But more than likely, if you've got more than five people, some of them are not wired to think in a missionary way and need someone to continue to bring that out of them. Yeah. And so once, once I put on a different cap, they did too. Yeah. And I just made an assumption that they would stay in that, yeah. that mode and they didn't. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. All right. Last one that I thought of, um, probably I could list mistakes that I've made over a much longer time than we have today, but, um, big mistake, man. Uh, I, I waited three years to install any sort of formal leadership or structure in our church, in our church, it was elders. Um, and we wanted those elders, you know, to, once they were installed, they, immediately became the responsible party. It went from one person's responsible for the doctrine, discipline, distinction, direction of the church to five men are responsible for that. And, um, and I think the reason I waited was there were, there were a couple things going on. Number one, um, cause I had the guys, the guys were there. Matter of fact, the guys that ended up being elders, almost all of them were there by six months into the church plant. Um, um, one reason was I was scared. I was scared that they would, uh, hijack the church, which actually they did and made it better, yeah. uh, which was awesome. I mean, I had no idea that they could do it better collectively than I could by myself. I mean, nobody, well, I mean, maybe people did tell me that maybe I knew that, but I had, I really, I really didn't think they could, could do it better. Um, Matter of fact, I, I mean, I think the only reason I pulled the trigger when I did was just this nagging sense of I'm not honoring the Lord. I'm not obeying the Lord's, you know, kind of model for church government and structure in our churches. You know, I could get away with, oh, we're an adolescent for a little while, but three years in, that kind of excuse was over, and I felt like I probably needed to go ahead and do something. So, but those guys, those guys led, led really, really well, and they, they rounded off some things that... <laughs> Uh, and all of a sudden, the, you know, them coming to the equation, they were speaking into the teaching, they were feeding back, they felt responsible, they felt weight of responsibility for uh, all the aspects of the church's ministry and everything improved pretty drastically in that period. So I would say I would categorize like <clears throat> year one to three of my church planting uh, work at, at Pillar. I would categorize that as rowing really hard. I was the only guy in the boat and I was rowing and I felt like I was like dragging this dinghy of other people behind me but I was doing all the labor and all the work and then um, at that point year three those guys become elders I felt like four other guys got in the boat with me 
and now we're rowing. So there's four fewer guys in the boat back there, four more guys in my boat helping me row. And then I would say, you know, year six or seven, it was like we popped up a sail and the wind started blowing and uh, things, you know, so now we're doing more sort of maintenance and keep up. Then there's momentum, there's things happening. Then we are actually trying to labor to get things done. Um, and so that, um, that's been, that's been a big, uh, so I think if there was something I would change, it would have been once I knew I had the guys with the right biblical qualifications and character, I would just plug those guys in, in right away. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so a lot of those guys you said were there from the beginning. So you go back to year one, you've got a handful of guys that seem qualified who are obviously committed. You're saying you would, you would have put them in, in positions of leadership, possibly eldership. Yeah. Significantly sooner than three years. I think so. Yeah. The, in my situation, the guys were nearly as mature as they were, you know, in, in year three, as they were in year one. One like that, my preaching sanctified them so much, so much that they all of a sudden became good elders. Um, it, was, it wasn't that at all. I was just, I mean, I was, I was apprehensive. I was scared of what would happen if, if I lost control. And I think, man, so, so many pastors are just fearful that they're going to lose momentum. They're going to lose something good if they, they do something, uh, make some kind of change and, Boy, I mean, in, in our context, that change was great. I don't know if I'd have kept leading the way I was leading. I'm not sure our church would have really taken root. Um, though I, I can literally, I can really, look, I can look back and say those guys, those guys helped the church grow roots. Um, we've got an elder named Tim who's fantastic at membership stuff, fellowship, compassion, caring for people. We've got an elder named Jack who's fantastic at leading our church in prayer like he just he's always making sure that our church is praying and trusting christ um he's reminding us regularly we had an elder for a while named stewart who's moved away now but stewart was um stewart was you know constantly helping me with preaching and encouraging me and um and i just think of all these aspects these gifts uh an elder named alex who's working with our students and our men and I mean, the gifts that these guys bring to the table are just, you know, unbelievable. And they, when they switched from, when they changed hats, like you were just talking about from, I'm just, uh, I'm a guy who's here to support Clint to, um, I'm part of building and shaping this thing. It just, it just took on a whole new, whole new life. And, um, so message to you guys, do it quicker, you know, do it earlier, uh, put, Rely on yourself less. Rely on other people more. Um, and if you don't have one, find one. Yeah. Them. Yeah. If you don't have good qualified leaders, you know, that, that brings up another point um, about the quality of leaders. It, it's important to be able to observe people over a long period of time, not just in a in a kind of real fast way. So the, the danger a little bit is I have only known this guy six months and plug him in as an elder. That's a little scary to me, honestly. Um but so so if there is a reason to to wait, it's that. Uh, but sometimes you can learn about somebody's character in other ways other than just that. Mm. Um, you can you can talk to people who've been served in churches with them in the past. Uh, you can look at a trajectory. You can spend time with their family. That's a huge indicator to their character. Um, so I would say, yeah, there's there's ways to do that. Do do your due due diligence, but um, but. You know, if you have, I would say, if you have any kind of character red flags, if you're concerned about anything from a character standpoint, don't move forward. But, but man, we have some, 
fantastic people on our core team, great elders, character, you know, um, very, very good. So there was no reason why we shouldn't have done it. I knew from the, I knew from, you know, six months in that we had those guys. I was very confident. I just, uh, I was just scared of where, you know, where the direction would go. But now I, I think I genuinely believe now that the character and the movement that a group of five godly men are more or less whatever would take the church is far better than what it would be if it was just me. And so I actually rely on that group. Sometimes we have decisions to make now that I could make myself, but I, I say, oh man, let's, let's wait to the elder meeting to make that decision just because I think if all those brains were on it, it would probably be a better, a better, I genuinely believe that now. So I, I, I intentionally push things to them that we don't really have to push to them just because, um, because of that. So, yeah. Yep. So that's, uh, those are some pieces of advice that we've got for you nine months into or a year and a half into church planning for Bobby O. I've been doing it for a little bit longer than that, but, um, the, uh, the, uh, mistakes will come. You'll make tons of mistakes and, um, the, uh, the, um, job of a pastor is to get up, brush yourself off, move forward. I heard James McDonald say, uh, one time that the pastor is a professional forgiver. His job is professional forgiveness, you know, and I uh, offer it to people. You offer it to yourself, um, uh, to, to forgive, uh, ourselves and others of our sins and just move on, move on with the ministry that God has for us. Well, Bobby and I recorded our vulnerable thoughts with you today because we hope that they will help you avoid some mistakes of your own in the future. So I hope this was helpful to you today. And I hope as you continue on in your ministry that you uh, get to avoid some of these pitfalls that we fell into. Well, today's podcast is made possible in part by the New City Network. New City aims to renew and establish gospel-centered churches in metropolitan Washington, D.C. Special thanks today to our guest, Bobby O., who wins the award for having more hipsters in his contact list than anyone else I know. And also to Bobby O. for producing and editing today's show and, and many, many shows before and hopefully after today's show and to you who listened all the way to the very conclusion of the church planting podcast this week thank you so much if you'd like more information about the church planting podcast you can find that at our website clintclifton.org you can uh, find additional posts about church planting there and notes and links from today's show 